Okay, let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you meet us in your word and you intend on feeding us, satisfying our thirsty souls. And so, Lord, help us to come honestly and humbly tonight to be hungry for you, to acknowledge that apart from you, Lord, we have nothing that is good. And we ask that you would allow this time to be fruitful, that we would be fed and nourished and satisfied. In Christ's name, amen. Can you think of a time when you discovered something and it was a life changer? All the Asians in the house. Can you guys raise your hand? It's okay. Just raise your hand. Nothing to be ashamed of. Okay. How many of you growing up used the dishwasher as an extra storage to keep all your clean dishes? In other words, you didn't know what it actually did. It was just an extra space for all the dishes you just hand-washed. That's right. This is CQ 101, folks, okay? And this was a game-changer for my wife and I when, because we were pressed with our third kid, I think, and had no time for dishwashing with our hands, we decided to try this thing called the dishwasher. We have seen it work a few times at our friends' homes, and uh, we thought, okay, how hard could it be? And so we poured some liquid, we closed the thing, and we stood for a while to see if we would actually clean our dishes. To this day, Grace's mom, who's been in the States for 40 plus years, uses the dishwasher basically as a storage for her clean dishes. And so when we encourage her, like, hey, you know, we discovered something that could change your life. She says, no, nah, it's all right. I don't trust that thing. <laughs> In today's text, the Samaritan woman's encounter with Jesus did exactly that. It was a game changer. You see, C.S. Lewis famously said, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord and if Jesus is the Lord, as he claims himself to be, then it has to change us. We cannot make that profession of faith and walk away as if Jesus is not Lord. You see, unlike Prophet Muhammad and Buddha, Jesus never spoke of a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, when we encounter Jesus for who he really is, it changes everything about us. So let's go to the passage and look at two things, two ways that this woman was transformed. And maybe some of the ways that we need to apply some things that John wants us to get here so that we as God's people, this faith community who come after week after week, Sunday after Sunday, encountering this Jesus and his gospel would be able to apply the truth in a beautiful way in this city. Two things. First, the encounter. John tells us in verse 4 that Jesus had 
to travel through Samaria. It was, in a sense, a shortcut, but not a preferred one. Jesus knew the centuries-old ethnic, social, political, and religious conflicts that ripped apart these two people groups. And as far as the Jews were concerned, the Samaritans were worse than Gentiles, and it didn't get worse than that. Yet Jesus traveled through hostile territory to meet with a woman. You see, single men didn't speak with non-related single women in public, especially a respected man like Jesus with a woman with a sketchy moral past. And that's why the disciples were astonished when they found Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. And it's odd that Jesus would send 12 men, 12 capable men, to get food for 13 people. I don't know what they were eating or planning to eat, but you don't need 24 hands to get enough food for 13 people, especially if one of you can multiply bread. (laughs) Jesus had no business traveling through Samaria that day, but he had to. Why? The answer lies in the previous chapter in one of the most recognized verses in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave the thing that was most precious to him. His only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the heart of the Christian gospel, that God in Christ pursues us. You see, he doesn't simply come into the world and gives us a long list of things that we got to jump through and check off before we can enter into the kingdom. But he pushes past all the ethnic, gender, social, religious boundaries so that he could have a conversation with a woman that was marginalized. Not good enough even for her own townspeople. Water collection was a woman's responsibility in that culture. The well was something between a modern-day water cooler, the office water cooler, and happy hour. It's where all the local women gather for the latest headlines and gossip before Samaritan women with the scarlet letter. It wasn't a safe place. And that's why she came at noon, not because water was particularly better, but she came at noon to avoid shame. So when Jesus asked for a drink of water, the Samaritan woman was surprised. She said, what? You are a Jew, a man, a respected person, yet you're asking me for water. But what's more surprising than his request is his offering. Verse 10 says, if you knew the gift of God, Not something you earn, but if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, Jacob's well, which represented the empty religion, 
cannot satisfy a thirsty soul. And that's why Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You see, Jesus offers better water, better satisfaction, better salvation, because he is greater than even Jacob himself. The woman then said, sir, give me this water so I would not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You see, here represents much more than a physical place. For the Samaritan woman, here represents shame, rejection, longing to be included, to be a part of a community. That's what here represents. And she thinks somehow that if she could have a steady supply of water, and not have to return here, that she would be happy. But Jesus knows that that's not enough. That she needs much more than just water to satisfy her thirsty soul. So he gets right to it. Verse 16, he says, go, call your husband. Conversation just got personal, real quick. Then uh, she panics, and she punts, and she decides to talk theology with Jesus. She starts talking about this Messiah who's going to come and show us a thing or two and teach us what is and what is not true. And I think Apostle John does something here unique to the Gospel of John. Back in chapter 2, in the story of the wedding at Cana, John takes verse 1 this introduction to the whole setting and verse 11 to convey a deep spiritual reality and truth about Jesus. And it reads as follows. On the third day, he revealed his glory. And already in John chapter 2, he is pointing us to the resurrection. On the third day, he revealed his glory. And here again, John works his magic. If you pull from verse 16 and verse 26 and sort of mesh the two, this is what you get. Go, call your husband. I am he. You see what Jesus is doing? Jesus gets right to the source of our thirst. And he says, I know what keeps you up at night. And I know the very reason why you don't want to come draw water here in the morning hours when all the town's ladies come. You're longing for something. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus says, what you're really looking for is me. You see, he's saying, I don't want to just cover your shame I'm going to give you what you're really longing for. Unconditional acceptance. Dignity as an image bearer. Intimacy of being fully known yet fully loved. Freedom from crippling shame and guilt. And joy of being fully satisfied. And all of this can only come, Jesus says. From the lover of your soul, me. 
How can Jesus offer such grace? In his own words, the hour is coming in verse 21. The word hour always refers to the hour of death in the gospel of John. And it is in that hour Jesus went on the cross and he became thirsty so that you and I can have living water. And Jesus wasn't thirsty for physical water, but he longed to be with the Father. Right before Jesus said, I thirst, he said the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fellowship between God the Father and God the Son was broken. And for the first time, he was able, he was not able to call his Father, Father. And when you and I, when we drink the living water, which is the Holy Spirit, we will experience deep soul satisfaction that changes everything. I don't know your story, what you've been through in the past years or maybe past season of your life, but I think we can all relate to the Samaritan woman's longing for intimacy, acceptance, community, freedom, and joy, can't we? Because her story is our story, and just like her, we all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we, too, have forsaken the living water in exchange for cisterns that cannot hold water. We turn to things like grades, career, marriage, children, or even a clean, tidy house to somehow give us what our hearts want. But Jesus says, no, you can only find that in me. And it is the gift of God. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be spiritual enough. You don't have to be more enough. You don't know it is God's gift to you. Why, we ask, why would God do such a thing? For God so loved the world. And when you love someone that much, Gift-giving becomes a delight. And that's who Christ represents. God's delight in his children and longing to reconcile that relationship. And that's why when Christ comes into the world, he jumps through all the hoops, clears all the path so that he could claim us as his, his beloved. Do you know this Jesus? Have you found water for your thirsty soul? Or are you in pursuit of that next best thing that somehow will satisfy? God offers his gift to you tonight. All you have to do is come humbly in faith. And he will meet you and your life will never be the same again. You see, once you've tasted the all-satisfying grace, you can't help but to share it. So let's get to our second point, the response. The proof, as they say, is in the pudding, or at least in this case, passion for outreach, evangelism. Nicodemus, who visited Jesus at night, he needed some time to process what he heard. 
After all, he's a scholar, a thinker. And that exchange that took place in John chapter 3 bore fruit in John chapter 19 where he goes to care for Christ and his burial. The disciples, they need a little more time than Nicodemus. You see, they didn't get it by John 19. They got it at Acts chapter 2, okay? In the 11th hour, they're like, oh my goodness, wait a minute. He is who he said he was. The Samaritan woman beat all of them. After this brief encounter, she left her jar, the passage tells us, and ran to her people. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Many sermons have been preached on what this water jar means. Is it her former way of life? Is it the Old Testament law? What is it? I don't think you need to dig too deep to figure out what this means. I I think she just was really excited about this joy that she found in Christ. You know, when you find that hidden cafe or, 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 or that restaurant that's like buried somewhere in the middle of nowhere, right? You can't help but to share that joy, that discovery with your loved ones. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. She runs and she shares Christ with them. There are three things about evangelism I want to touch on rather quickly before we wrap up. First, evangelism is an invitation. It's an invitation. See, her message was, come, see a man, come and check him out. He told me everything I ever did. She went into the town where people knew a thing or two about her. She didn't have a neat presentation. She didn't take a class or get any training on evangelism and outreach. She didn't even have all the answers. She asked, could this be the Christ? Come, let's discover together. And they come. That's a miracle, isn't it? They actually come. And they listen to his word. And in verse 42, they say, we have heard for ourselves. He really is the savior of the world. Meaning, we were kind of skeptical at first. We didn't know whether to believe you or not, but we have heard for ourselves. So here's an application for you. First, start praying for one, two, or three people that God has already placed in your life. Ask for opportunities. It doesn't have to be one of those home-run gospel presentations where by the end of that 20-minute presentation, they're willing to follow you to the ends of the earth. No, just invite them. Come. We got a great thing going on in our community group. It's a group of us who are trying to love the Lord together, learn the city, and serve it well. We eat. We have a great time. Come. Be a part of what's going on. Would you pray and would you invite? Second, I said three things, but there are actually only two things. So you can relax, okay? Second and final is the power of evangelism is a transformed life. The power of evangelism is a transformed life. You see, the real message here was her changed life. 
Courage to go to the very people whom she avoided. Freedom, where she is no longer defined by her mistakes or sin. And contagious joy. Look, come, come see a man. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. Now, if this is what she led off with, I would have said, stop right there. Because we all know everything you ever did. That's the very reason why you come to draw water at noon. I don't think, all that to say, I don't think it was Jesus's insider information on her life that got her really excited to share with other people. Rather, I think it was the first time, first time, that someone knew everything about her, yet loved her completely. And that was the life-giving grace she tasted. And that's what got her excited. Let me ask you, do you know this Jesus? Have you drank from the well of grace that he offers you freely? And is it evident in your contagious joy? Sure, life is hard. We all know that. But is there joy in you? Joy that comes from knowing him and having the spirit living in you. And that is the most powerful form of evangelism, I think. As we demonstrate in word and deed the power of grace that can change even his enemies, sinners, into lovers of Christ. So as we continue to journey through 2018, and as we get ready to move now to Chinese Community Church a few blocks away, a new start, new beginning, new neighbors. Maybe God is calling you to some of them. But I want to encourage you to pray and reach out to them and love them just as you have been loved. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. God, thank you that you came into the world not to condemn it, but to save lost people like me, like us. And tonight I want to pray for folks who are here in this room who may not know you in this way but they have a sense that you might be who you claim to be. Would you help them to believe? Would you give them faith? In Christ's name we pray, amen.